Take your copy of God's Word and find 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is the eighth and final sermon uh, from uh, the second letter of the Apostle Peter. While you're finding that portion of God's Word, uh, let me encourage you to be back next Sunday night. We're going to have a special service of installation for Pastor Brian Payne. And uh, you don't want to miss that unless providentially hindered. And if I might just add to that, uh, very few churches in our city uh, gather on Sunday night for worship. Thank God we still have folk at Lakeview who want to worship the Lord twice on the Lord's Day. But uh, there are many of them that love the Lord, and uh, some of them you work with or in your neighborhood. They're good and godly people, and I think you'll be a blessing for them to be here next Sunday evening as we set apart uh, Brian Payne to be the sixth pastor of Lakeview Baptist Church. So as you have opportunity, invite uh, those people uh, like that that you see between now and next Sunday. Anyone who's ever played high school football knows the teams that consistently win are those that are usually the most disciplined, not necessarily the most talented. They're disciplined by their diligent workouts uh, year-round. Not just spring training, but when classes are out in the summer and then in summer camp, they're disciplined in their diet, they're disciplined in their habits. Those are the teams that consistently win. Same thing is true in the Christian life. All who walk in godliness are disciplined in their habits. In fact, the Apostle Paul spoke to this when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Paul said, train yourself to be godly. Do you get that? Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. It's impossible to the degree that we are able to be in good physical condition, but that's just for time. But godliness has value for all things, not just for time, but for eternity. So tonight, I want you to think with me about this subject, discipline yourself for godliness. Discipline yourself for godliness. And our text is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, through the end of the chapter and the end of the letter. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of all these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, who would have ever thought that Simon Peter would be the author of two Spirit-inspired letters? I mean, we can understand the Spirit of God choosing Paul to write these inspired letters, Genesis, all, uh, not Genesis, Romans all the way through to Philemon and perhaps Hebrews. Uh, Paul was uh, trained in the best of the rabbinical schools. He was a brilliant uh, scholar and student of the Old Testament. But Peter, <clears throat> he was just a simple fisherman applying his trade on the Sea of Galilee day after day with his brother Andrew. But God used Peter who had no, what we would call formal theological training to give us the two letters that bear his name that are found near the close of our New Testament. Now I must add, Peter did have an advantage over Paul, <laughs> a big one. He spent three years in the company of Jesus. And that's the best seminary training you can have right there. So as we come to the conclusion of this letter, I want you to think about discipline yourself for godliness. I want to give you four axioms that are found in this text of Scripture to help us uh, to live as men and women of God. Lives that reflect the, the character of God uh, to the wider world in which we find ourselves. The first axiom that we need to incorporate in our lifestyle is found in verse 14 is this, we should be diligent in pursuing practical holiness. There is a difference between positional holiness, that, that is our position in Christ. We are complete in him. We are as righteous as Jesus is righteous because we've been clothed in his righteousness. His righteousness has been a charge to us. It's been imputed to us. There's a difference between positional righteousness or holiness and practical righteousness and holiness. And here in verse 14, Peter is advocating that his listeners, his readers be diligent to pursue practical holiness. Look in verse 14. So then, Dear friends, and we see this phrase, dear friends, you might have a, 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 a translation that says beloved. It's found three times here in, in uh, chapter three. Paul had a, uh, Peter had a, a deep affection for uh, the people to whom he was writing. They were his beloved friends. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, what is it they were to look forward to? Well, they were to look forward to the return of Christ. Uh, the scoffers had come along and said, where's this promise of his coming? It's been all this time, it's 30 years, Jesus hadn't come. And so they were, they were challenging the, the doctrine of the return of Christ, the teaching of Peter and Paul and others that, that Jesus would return. And uh, they were still looking forward to this. They were looking forward to seeing Jesus come at the end of the age. So he says, in light of the fact that you are looking forward to this, verse, middle of verse 14, make every 
effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This phrase, make every effort, is, a, is an appeal to, to strive, to, to discipline yourself, to, to seek after the Lord and the holiness of the Lord. We sang about that tonight. Now, justification is a once and for all time action in which uh, God declares us righteous at the moment of our conversion, but sanctification is a lifelong process of pursuing God and pursuing holiness. And the goal here, verse 14, is spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, to be spotless is to have your sins confessed up to date, to keep short accounts with God. So in the course of a day, you slip and fall and you sin against God. The appropriate response, if you're gonna be spotless, is to confess your sin to the Lord. The scripture says if we confess our sins, that is we agree with God, that what we said or did was sin. If we confess our, our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, when I was a student at Auburn University, I was introduced to the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit through the writings of uh, Bill Bright, the founder of what was then known as Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. And he had a concept that had resonated with me and has now for well over 50 years. He called it spiritual breathing. When in the course of a day we sin against God and the Spirit of God puts his finger on that sin and says, this is sin, this is wrong. Instead of trying to rationalize our sin, to explain it away, to justify ourselves in the sight of God, we confess that sin. And Bill Bright describes that as exhaling. And then he says, we inhale, we ask once again for the Spirit of God to fill us and to make us like Jesus. Now, that concept of spiritual breathing has been a central part of my Christian life now uh, since I was a freshman at Auburn University back in the mid-1960s. So the goal in light of the return of Christ is to be found spotless with no sins unconfessed. Then he says, blameless. We're to be found blameless. We're not to be sinless. Uh, well, there'll never be a time in this life when we are sinless, but we can be blameless. Now you say, well, that just, you just contradict yourself. No, I didn't. There is the, the, the conscious knowledge of sin that we confess. We, we can't confess sins we're not aware of. There are things that I confess to the Lord today that are sinful, that were sinful. I didn't know were sinful 10 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. But everything that I know is sinful, I, I want to confess to the Lord. But none of us are going to be sinless until we see Jesus face to face. And when we receive our glorified resurrection bodies, then we will be completely without sin. But in the meantime, we are to be blameless. 
so that no one could point an accusing finger at any one of us and say, now you say you're a Christian, but look how you're talking or look how you're living or look how you're responding. No, no, no. We want to be above reproach in every dimension. Okay, so look at it again. Make every effort, be diligent, pursue wholeheartedly to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, there is the, the peace uh, with God that comes from knowing Christ, and there is the peace of God that comes from knowing that we are spotless and blameless. We are God's redeemed children. We're different in our speech, in our behavior, in our conduct, in our actions, in our relationships. And for that to take place, Peter says, we must be diligent. We must make every effort. There's the expenditure of energy to come to the place of practical holiness. Nobody drifts into godliness, but anybody can drift out of godliness. There is a difference. Now, a, sex, a second axiom found in verses 15 and 16 as we think about discipline yourself for godliness is this. Be confident in Christ's promise to return. fact of the matter is that most of chapter 2 and most of chapter 3 are about the return of Christ and the fact that the scoffers, the skeptics, the false teachers were seeking to uh, deny that Jesus is coming back. They used the fact that several... Decades had passed and Jesus uh, promised to return had not yet taken place. And, and uh, they were attacking from within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest danger to the church is always from within, not from without. And so uh, Peter says here, as we think about uh, the, whole, the whole practice of godliness is be confident in Christ's promise to return. We don't need to doubt that Jesus is coming back. And we don't want to be found uh, with wicked, sinful, unrepentant sin in our lives. The fact that we'll see him someday ought to motivate us uh, to be practically holy. Now look in verse 15, verses 15 and 16. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Our Lord's patience about what? About his return. Look back in, in early in the chapter, 2 Peter 3, verses uh, 8 and 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We talked about this last Sunday night. The Lord is not, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the Lord Jesus is delaying his return in order that more and more people will have an opportunity to hear the gospel, repent and believe. So in verse 15, where, where Peter says, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. It means salvation for people who do not yet know Christ, have not yet trusted in him as their savior. 
Now, in the latter part of verse 15 and the first part of verse 16, Paul has, uh, Peter has a remarkable uh, statement about the Apostle Paul. He says, uh, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. And his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, when he says in the latter part of verse 15 that Paul wrote with the wisdom God gave him, he's talking about here the, the return of Christ. So apparently he's talking about the things that Paul had written to some of the other churches about the second return, about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that Paul wrote the Thessalonian church, 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, Trumpet of God will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised, and we are alive and remain, be caught up together with the Lord. So, so Paul spoke to this, and apparently the people to whom Peter is writing this letter, and no one knows to whom uh, the, 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 this second letter that Peter wrote uh, was written to, but apparently Peter knew that they knew about what Paul had said in some of his correspondence, which was probably his correspondence to the Thessalonian Christians. And then in verse 16, the latter part of verse 16, his, Paul's letters, contain some things which are hard to understand. Now that's encouraging for me because uh, Paul does write some things that are hard to understand. And if an apostle Peter had a hard time understanding some of the things Paul was writing, uh, we shouldn't feel bad that we had struggle sometimes. When I preached through Romans this last time, I didn't do this, but when I preached through Romans the first time, back about 30 plus years ago, when I came to chapter nine, I had to put it on pause. And I worked real hard all week in, in Romans chapter nine. And I came out on Sunday morning and I said to you, some of you were here then, most of you were not. I said, it's not for lack of effort on my part to understand what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 9. But I haven't been able to get my mind around this in such a way that I can make it clear. I said, I think I understand it. But I need to understand it so that you can understand it when I, when I teach it. So uh, give me another week and today I'm going to preach a sermon I preached a few years ago. Then I came back a week later. Hopefully by God's grace I was able to make it clear. But it's true. Some of the things that Paul says are difficult to understand. Even for Simon Peter. And he says here in the latter part of verse 16 that some ignorant and unstable people, this is a reference to the false teachers who are coming uh, against the truth of the doctrine of the return of Christ Ignorant and unstable people distort. That word distort is from the word which we get uh, the, the practice of torture, where someone perhaps is put on a rack and they're twisted and tortured, pulled and stretched, 
And, and what Peter's saying here, there are false teachers in the church and they take the writings of the apostle Paul and they twist them and they, and they distort them in such a way that they mean exactly the opposite of what Paul was teaching. These false teachers were in the, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the day in which Peter penned these words and they are in the church today and I think we can say with a great deal of confidence they're gonna be with us till the end of the age. That's why we need to be alert about false teachers. And so they distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, one of the things that uh, we learn from this text, which is not the primary uh, focus, I believe, of the apostle Peter at this point, is that the writings of Paul, according to Peter, are on par with the writings of what we call the the, nine, the 39 books of the Old Testament as holy scripture, the inspired writings of God. The canon of the New Testament was not yet closed. You still had other writings to be, uh, to be given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when Peter penned these words. But even at this early stage in the development of the, of, of, of the New Testament church, in this early stage in the development of the, uh, of the, of the canon of holy scripture, Peter recognized and others recognized, those who received the writings of the Apostle Paul recognized that these were not just Paul's ideas and thoughts, but this was in fact God's holy inspired word from the human penman, the Apostle Paul. And so he says here, they distort these scriptures to their own destruction. False teachers will be destroyed and cast away from the presence of God if they do not repent. So we're talking tonight about discipline yourself for godliness. And uh, if we're going to do that, we need to be confident in Christ's promise to return. We don't want to face him at the end of the age with sin in our lives. There's a third axiom found in verse 17. Be on your guard against falling away. Look in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. The lawless men would be the false teachers. And so we know that false teachers are going to be destroyed, but we need to be aware and alert and, and uh, we need to guard against falling away. Now, he says here, this is a fall from your secure position. So this, uh, this opens uh, uh, the whole issue of, is Peter saying that you can fall from grace or you can be in Christ and then later be out of Christ? Can you be saved and then later be lost? And the answer is, of course not. Uh, Peter's not saying that here. Uh, he, he's saying you can you can lose your your, your steadfastness, your 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 a secure position as a as a confident follower of the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't guard against that. But you're not going to lose your salvation. Hold your place in Second Peter chapter three, and just go a few pages uh, uh, to Jude, just a few pages. Uh, 
away to Jude. And there, Jude, the half-brother of our Lord, in this doxology with which he concludes his, uh, his brief letter says to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's the Lord. The Lord will keep us from falling. Our, our, our salvation is secure not because we're holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to us. We're in his hands. But there is the possibility that a person could profess to know Christ, not really know Christ, and apostatize. These are the words of Thomas Schreiner, a New Testament scholar on the faculty of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The word fall here refers to apostasy, to departing from the Christian faith. Peter had clarified in the entire letter that those who fall away, like the teachers, are destined for eternal destruction. Believers maintain their secure position, in other words, by heeding warnings, not by ignoring them. Experienced mountain climbers ensure their safety by studying their climb, taking necessary precautions, and knowing their climbing partners. Paying attention to warnings does not quench confidence, but it is the means to it. Professor Schreiner continues, so also Peter was not putting a damper on the assurance of his readers. He knew that assurance becomes a reality by heeding warnings. Those who are on their guard will not fall from their secure position, while those who are careless are apt to slip away because they ignored the warning signals. We should add here that any who finally do turn aside and fall away reveal that they never were a part of the people of God. And some of the most prominent Christian preachers of our generation have apostatized in recent days, demonstrating for all to see they never were a part of the family of God. So we're talking tonight about discipline yourself regardless. Now, fourth and finally, I want you to see in verse 18, we discipline ourselves regardless by growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is perhaps the key verse to the whole letter right here, verse 18. Save the best for last. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It's well been said that the Christian life is like riding a bicycle. If you're not going forward, you're falling off. You, if you're not pedaling, going forward, being diligent to pursue after the Lord and pursue holiness and godliness, then you're going to fall. And we guard against falling by growing. Growing in the grace of God and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps all of you know the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. The Christian religion is all by grace. We, we come to know God our Father through his grace given to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. 
Jesus is the riches of heaven. And God the Father gave God the Son to come and dwell for a while among us and ultimately to go to a cruel, bloody Roman cross and there to suffer and die in our stead, in our place, taking the wrath of God against sin, our sin. That is God's grace. It is God's goodness, God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And so salvation, as you've heard me say a multitude of times, is by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. And so we're to grow in this grace. There's the saving, justifying grace, which comes to us at the moment we are born again. We are converted by the power of the Spirit of God. But then there is the sanctifying grace that God gives us day by day by day. Just as it took God's grace to give us right standing with God on the day we were converted, it takes, us, it takes God's grace to give us intimate fellowship with God every day we get up. We, we receive fresh manifestations of God's grace as we seek the Lord. So we want to grow in the grace of God and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the name the angel gave, uh, said to Joseph, that Mary and Joseph were to give him. It means Savior. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the promised one. And he is Lord. As Lord, we are to submit to his instruction. And so as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we, we become equipped to be Christ-like. You, you, you are like what you know. So a lot of folks in this part of the world are Atlanta Braves fans. And let me salute those of you who are here tonight when your team is on TV. I commend you. You made a good choice. Amen. But if you're a real Atlanta Braves fan, you know all about the team. You know the standings. You know, you know, you read the box scores. You know the averages. You, you know the pitchers' uh, ERA. You, you'd know about that because you you study it. In the same way, if you're going to know Jesus, you got to, you got to spend time with him. And here's where we know Jesus is right here in the book. This is the Jesus book. Let me tell you one more time. If you, if you could take a book and turn it into a person, you'd have Jesus. This is how you know Jesus. This is how you, have, how you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, by reading the book. Personally, privately, but corporately hearing the, the word of God expounded from this pulpit, whether it's me or Pastor Brian or one of our associate pastors, we all preach straight from the Jesus book. And so we're going to be like him. We've got to know him, not just know about him, not just know where he was born, who his stepfather was, etc., but know him, encounter him as the spirit of God takes the word of God and uses it to transform us, to make us like him. This is not optional. 
This is essential if we're going to live godly lives. Now, we see this in Second Peter, First Peter. Go back to First Peter, chapter two, verses two and three. Peter said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, he compares new Christians to babies, spiritual babies. But like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You, salvation is something we grow up into. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. When, when a person is, is converted, when he, when he or she is born of the Spirit of God, we're like a spiritual baby. And we gotta grow. And just as a physical baby has to have milk and later stronger food and rest and sleep, and exercise to grow up. If we're going to be strong in our Christian life, we've got to grow. We don't want to be spiritual babies 20, 30, 40 years into our Christian life. Tragically, some people are. They were generally converted decades ago. They just never grew much. When I was pastor of Carolina Baptist Church, there was a widow in our church. She had a, an adult son. He was in his mid-30s. His name was Junior. And uh, he had, at birth, he, was, he had some deep, deep physical issues and he couldn't walk. He couldn't move his arm. He could just kind of flail about a little bit. He couldn't talk. Now, I'm sure he's with the Lord by now. And, um, but I go by and see Junior and his mother sometime, and I, I would often think this is, he, he's, a, he's a picture of physically, I mean, he wore a diaper. In his, in his, he had a big baby bed, he wore a diaper. He, he's a picture of so many people who came to Christ when they were young and they never really grew in the Lord. They just stayed a spiritual baby. How sad. So Paul says, be, be like these newborn babies. Crave the, spirit, the, the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Some people grow rapidly because they have a heart and hunger for God. Now, you can't become a mature Christian quickly. Uh, I don't want to burst your bubble, but you can't. It takes many, many years to become a mature Christian. You can be a zealous Christian from the moment of your conversion. And oftentimes, the more zealous Christians are the newer Christians. I like to be around new Christians. I love their zeal. But it takes many years to become a mature Christian. It's not automatic. You gotta, you gotta be diligent and discipline yourself for godliness. You can grow a mushroom overnight. You can grow a squash in six weeks, but it takes 50 years to grow a giant oak tree. 
but you got to begin the journey. The journey begins at the moment of conversion, and then you discipline yourself day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, seeking the Lord through the Word of God. And as you do, you can look back 10 years ago, 40 years ago, and you say, yeah, by God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. I may not be everything I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. It's a process that calls for discipline. And then the last sentence, uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, to him, that's Jesus. To our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's a good place to put amen right there. God, our Father, thank you for the privilege to teach through and preach through this wonderful letter of your servant, Peter. We look forward someday, Lord, in glory to getting acquainted with Peter and Paul and all these great men and women that we read about in the pages of Holy Scripture. But in the meantime, God, let us take, take to heart the instruction that has come to us as the Spirit of God has inspired them to write these, these words that we have in our Bible, that we might be holy, godly men who point those with whom we come in contact with to the life which is ours in Christ. And may God receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.